0: Welcome to the Recover You podcast with Kylene and Patrick Terhune. It's here that we talk about sex addiction, betrayal trauma, mental, emotional, and physical health, faith, and anything and everything needed to recover you to your most authentic self that God created you to be. How does she know you love her? How does she know she's yours? you remember that? No. How does she know that you love her?
1: Is that from a Disney music? How
0: do you show her you love her? Yeah, Enchanted.
1: Yeah, I would have never known that.
0: How does she know? Yeah. Yeah. it's very good. Yep. So today's, the title of today's episode is, How Do I Know? So I thought I thought that fit in really well. Mm-hmm. How yeah. do I know? So this is the Wednesday after Thanksgiving. We hope you all had a beautiful Thanksgiving. And I'm going to ask Patrick, what are three things you're thankful for?
1: Well, there's a lot to be thankful for beyond three things. But if I had to zero it down, I think that uh, West Point's football team is on a winning streak. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Um, even though that is good <laughs> number 20 on the list number 20 on the list no i think i think um you know you and i have actually you know we had a little bit of a rough summer we're coming up on three years so the end of january will be three years and i think i'm very thankful for um where we are and how how much we've repaired and healed you know from what was a very hard um very very difficult process through many months and of you know a couple steps forward a couple steps back and so it's it's uh it's nice to know that that you have um you have um healed along with me and then so we've healed individually and then now we're healing our relationship even more so i think i'm i'm very thankful that we are at
0: we've up leveled
1: yeah we've up leveled and you know i'm certainly thankful for the you know for the love you've shown and the grace you've shown You know, through this thing and for the the love of Keegan and the love of friends. And I think for new friends that I found, you know, through this process, it's been great to see, you know, to be able to lead men and participate with men as they go through their own healing journey. And like thinking back like where they are, a couple of them are coming up on two years now, too. And it's kind of cool to see that Um, and then just see how this whole thing has grown. Um, You know, my my therapist actually said I I was like it, it was amazing. I was talking to him this week. It was amazing. And he goes, this is not my term, but he goes, it's kind of appropriate to this. It's a gift that's initially wrapped in shit. You know what I mean? Kind of it's,
0: doing the work that we do. Yeah,
1: with, yeah. Yeah. And so, but it's a wonderful gift. And, and so you end up going, man, I, you know, and you and I talked about this with the terminology. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. You know, we've heard people say that, you know, and I understand why they would say that. I don't think I would, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to visit that kind of pain on people in the sense of this is the best thing that ever happened to me, but I understand the sentiment of, yeah, I would have never had the healing that we are in and the impact that had it not been for entering into recovery and yeah. then understanding what that is. So um, was I'm, that
0: three things? <laughs> I'm thankful for many things.
1: <laughs> don't limit me.
0: 20 things, yeah, even one thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah good
1: yeah how about you
0: the same okay moving on (laughs) no I mean I was I would share the same sentiment in terms of you would never oh my gosh I would never say oh I I wish betrayal trauma on someone it's like horrific I would never ask to go through that you know Um, on the other side of it, when you come through, there's so many gifts that recovery brings you. So it's like, it's the journey of recovery that really brings you all of these beautiful things and they're hard and really painful to go through. But then, I mean, just the, I think one of the episodes that we should probably do, um, is like all of the limiting beliefs that you and I identified mm-hmm. within ourselves through this process that right. we've then had the opportunity to work through mm-hmm. and choose like different beliefs and kind of step into different identities and step into the life that we actually want to live. Um, because I think that is one of the biggest pieces. And and I say this um, to even just, you know, coaching people through that type of, of thing, limiting beliefs and parts work and, and that sort of thing. Um, this is not just for addicts in recovery that that type of work is not just for women that go through betrayal. It's really for humans. I think anybody that wants to push through, um, difficulties in life or wants to change how they respond to something. If you have a pattern that you don't like, or um you just want to up level in some way and and um work on some things in your mindset and your and your beliefs and your behaviors, then the the inner work as they would say, or the emotional processing and stuff like that that we've had the opportunity to do is really where it's at. And um so I'm really thankful that through this process um I got I got so deep into that. So you know back when i had cancer i wrote a chapter in my book um about emotions and that was before i knew oh even maybe a tenth of what i know now i knew enough mm-hmm. to talk about it um and to say hey you know i'm i'm going through this really hard thing and i think maybe understanding that emotions can contribute like maybe i should say something about that cuz it's important but i did not have any understanding to the level that i do today about you know how much it weighs in the body and um particularly what we can do about it, you know? And so having all of those tools is huge. And I wish that everybody had them. And I wish that they were tools I had 10 years ago or 15 years ago. Um, I think, you know, I think it would be, I thought when I learned all of them, I was like, oh, I wish I had that when I was parenting Keegan, when he was in the house, you know, just like communication tools and emotional processing tools and like all of these things. And so I think that that's been a huge gift. I'm actually really excited because you're going to go get certified, um, in April with the same tools that I use with my clients and I are, I already think you're an amazing coach and I think that's just going to give you so many more tools to to use um but that's probably the biggest thing I think would be that and then I I would say um because of that and within that the development in in the relationship so mm-hmm. really thankful for that you mentioned we had a really hard summer but And, you know, we, we talked about that on the podcast too. So that's not really a a surprise or anything. We just had a lot that we were going through and some deep emotions coming up through the recovery process and, um, just kind of navigating those. Um, and I would say, you know, ending the year and coming into, or coming to the end of the third year, about to hit the three year anniversary and moving into the fourth year of recovery, Mm -hmm. um, we're at a place that within the first six to nine to 12 months, I don't even know that I would have believed we could be if somebody had said, oh, you know, at your uh, two and three quarters, you're going to, you know, be here with your relationship. And and so that's been really, um, really great um, to know that you're in a really good place and I'm in a really good place and we are moving into a good place. And then a lot. Yeah. Along the same lines of what you said, just um, thankful for, you know, the ability that we've had to do this, to start a podcast Mm -hmm. that, um, that I coach women one-on-one that we started a nonprofit that we did all these things. Like that's, um, when you look back, it's so interesting when you kind of live your life and and make these decisions and do these things. And, um, it sometimes feels like, oh, I'm not making a difference or I'm not doing anything or like, oh, that's not a big deal. Right. And then you look back after a couple of years, like, wow, we did all of these things and it's so cool. Um, and then you get these messages from people that are like, you know, because of this podcast episode, um we were able to get the counseling that we needed or, you know, because you shared your story on social media, like I didn't I don't feel alone, right? I feel heard. And and that is really huge to know that just just sharing our story has been able to help people and it, it, publicly and privately, right? Like people will come and say, "Hey, you know, I um because you've shared, you know, this is what I'm going through. And, um, the fact that people feel safe enough to come and tell us that I think is huge. Absolutely. A tremendous honor every single time that someone feels safe enough to share, because that is them coming in their most vulnerable place to say that, you know, you've gone through this, I see that you are in a healthy place and can you tell me how to get there? And so that's, I mean, that's a huge honor. So Mm -hmm. like you said, we can, um, sometimes it can be hard. Sometimes it can be exhausting. Sometimes it can be emotionally difficult to continue doing these things um, and to work in this world. It's just a really heavy world. It's got a lot of hard emotions. It's got a lot of trauma involved. You hear a lot of stories, right? And it's, it's hard to know that all this pain is out there and to work with it. But I think the reward so much comes when you hear those comments, right? Mm -hmm. You hear, this has made a difference to me. This has helped me. Or I know that because, you know, you've done it, I can do it. Or seeing the fact that you guys have um, recovered and reconciled gives me hope that maybe we can Mm -hmm. too. And can you tell me the steps that you are involved in that? And so, yeah, that's been really cool. Yeah. Okay, so today's topic is how do I know? So we're going to go through four questions that start with how do I know? Because these are really common questions um, when a discovery or disclosure of a sex or porn addiction in a relationship happens. So the number one question is how do I know sex addiction isn't about sex? So I'll let you start off. Okay. with
1: that one. So I think um, and this one's really hard for the addict because uh, you know with the shame that's involved with sexually acting out, you have a hard time understanding or trying to come to the realization that it is not in fact about sex. So most people will view sex as a pleasurable um act and and so people will say, well, how is it not about sex, you know what I mean when they think about the discrete nature of of a, of a sex act, or, sec, you know, sexually acting out. So, but I think the 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 reason why it's not about sex is because, in your, I guess you could argue, inappropriate way, you're using it to soothe or to numb these negative feelings you have. And so, when you start to dig into the sexually acting out, and you and you um, spend some time looking at things like arousal templates. And things like that, which is like, why are you there?
0: I really don't like that word, by the way. I think I prefer.
1: We will call it the Nebuchadnezzar template.
0: I think I prefer the term like the the trigger pattern or the trigger template or the addiction template sure. or something like that, yeah. Yeah. because you're that, that title itself sort of counteracts like the idea that we're trying to get across. That mm-hmm. is, it's not about the pornography. It's not yeah. about the women. Yeah. Right. It's not about the sexual act itself. So when you go, well, but it's so arousing, it's like, okay, there's a chemical cascade and there's a physical reaction. Yes. But mm-hmm. that's not what we're talking about.
1: Right. right. Well, my, so when, when you dig into that template, <laughs> and uh, it's
0: the pattern of the the process yeah
1: you look at you know what what happens is is when when folks are early in their in their um addiction they may go oh my gosh you know what was I aroused by so they may actually think that because they're limited in thinking but you broaden that and you start to say you know what are the activities that were happening in my life was there lack of affirmation was there Um, a fear of, of going to uh, a a family, you know, family for Thanksgiving. Was there all, was it a fight? Was it a.
0: Or sometimes, yeah, sometimes there's a stressful event or Mm -hmm. conversation or a rejection or something like that. And then it's, it's maybe not even that specific uh, moment. It is the negative thoughts and the negative spiraling self-talk that then is, is telling you. I'm not lovable that, well, they did this thing because I'm not lovable or, you know, I'm never going to be accepted or I'm going to, you know, these people are going to leave me or whatever, or I'm not worthy. So then what happens? You go into um, so, uh, self-sabotage mode or self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. Either way, you yeah. kind of look There's at that.
1: There's resentment in there. There's things like that. So really, as you broaden the study of, of why you're Doing what you're doing, you find very quickly that it becomes a brain problem. And it's about the, you know, the, the patterns of your past, the uh the traumas of your past that have sent these 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 messages to you. But it's still hard, especially for the betrayed spouse, to understand that it's not about sex because they can get into the comparative nature of it. Um, they can get into, um, you know, well, well, you know, was I not good enough. You know that that sort of thing. You know, like, could you have just turned to me versus this other thing? Right. It it really enters into a lot of that, and it's just there's a a um, uh, it, it it is in fact a brain problem that drives that.
0: I would say that's probably true for every addiction, and just a small little asterisk caveat. I would also say that it is true that some people like it. They don't see anything wrong with it. They may actually have an addiction and see nothing wrong with it and be really gaslighty and mean about it. And that's not who we're talking about. So some people may Oh, it is. It is about the women. And that's what I like about it. And okay. That that's a deeper thing. We're talking about people that, um, you know, actually want to recover and, um, part of the addiction spiraling is the shame associated with it. The fact that it's not about um, the women, it's not about, you know, certain behaviors or whatever it's, it's specifically about, Oh, well my brain has found a way to self-medicate and to numb out. And so if you think about what I did, the, the process that I just explained of, okay, something happens and then you have these spiraling thoughts, these this negative self-talk about who you are and your worth and like the outcome of your life and what's going to happen and all these types of things. If you haven't been taught throughout life how to sit and feel and process those thoughts and those emotions in a healthy way, you know, reaching out to a friend, um, getting out out of your head and into reality, and having people speak truth into you, and developing connections and community, and all the things we've talked about. Instead, if your body goes, okay, well, I don't know how to think, how to feel, how to process this, how to just sit with this negative belief or this feeling, and I know that it'll go away. But instead, you've been taught to numb, avoid, or distract. And so when that happens in, a, in an early age, you know, in, in teenager. Uh, years and stuff like that, your brain goes, oh, well, I have this coping mechanism. Here's an uncomfortable emotion. Here's a negative self-belief, you know, that I'm unlovable. Well, let me go into this um, activity where someone tells me I am lovable, someone pays me compliments, you know, whatever, or um, or just the physical act of acting out to certain images or whatever, bringing in that chemical cascade. Mm-hmm. That's this short-term band-aid For this negative belief that we don't actually know how to sit with because it's uncomfortable. And so at the root, a lot of negative behaviors and patterns, and I mean, this go far outside of addiction too, but at the root of negative behaviors and self-sabotaging behaviors are these limiting beliefs about who we are as human beings And then if you rewind that, sometimes there was a conversation that was had, or sometimes there was a traumatic moment, or sometimes there was like, um, something negative that a parent said, right. Um, and maybe some of that happened when you were seven and then when you're 25, there's a comment that's made that triggers that, that, um, creates this spiraling thought pattern. And now you have that acting out, um, numbing, distracting a pattern so locked in You don't even think about it. You just go to it. You don't even know that that's happening. It's not on a conscious level that you go, oh, my feelings are hurt. I'm going to go act out to some pornography, right? Like, so I think that, and you're right, you had mentioned this is, and I was going to say this too, this particular one, how do I know that it isn't about sex or it isn't about the women is really, 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 really hard. Or the betrayed partner. I asked you that question about 20 times because I maybe more than that over the first couple years because I was like, I need you to remind me right now that it wasn't about the women. I need you to remind me right now that it wasn't about the women, that it wasn't about the women, that it wasn't about right. I needed that on repeat for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, because for me, as it came up, what was what I was so afraid of and what was my trigger and my trauma was the comparison, like you said, and so that was very. Difficult, and I know a lot of people feel that um, betrayal trauma is particularly, or sexual betrayal trauma with sex addiction or pornography use, is particularly traumatic and painful because it does feel personal. Unlike some other addictions, that may you it it may be betrayal, it may be trauma, it may be difficult, um, but and we might not feel as personally attacked by it, and so. Um, and so that is like a, a little bit of a unique facet to this particular type of addiction that to a partner, it feels incredibly personal. Mm-hmm. And like you said, we'll say, well, um, it's not like I wasn't willing, you know, it's like I was here, you know, why don't you know it? And, and the answer to that then is really bringing it into the conscious brain and saying, it's not about sex it was not about those things and uh, on a little side note to that with the betrayed partner too you don't want to be the replacement to right. an addiction right. yeah. so you do not want to just be a body that he's acting out with mm-hmm. you 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 want to um avoid that and 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 um maybe that's a different episode but within this process of recovery that's a That is a uh, pattern that we could potentially fall in. That's like, well, as long as your attention's on me, I would just rather that you, you know, focus on uh, focus on me, focus on me. Right. And yes, while that's true, we don't want to then become a a, an addiction replacement. That's not healthy either.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think um, if I could add, you know, a lot of times we'll we'll tell our kids and gosh, I might have even said this and I feel bad about it, but get over it um you know sometimes and i never did this but like you know stop crying or i'll give you something to cry about so like those the messages that sends to children is is you know like they don't know how to get over it they don't know how so then let's say they find this you know because a lot of kids get exposed you know most kids get exposed to it and and then they realize that through that very moment they don't feel pain. So then if you're if you're in the whole, you know, all the science is there, if your prefrontal cortex, the your your CEO of your brain isn't fully developed to your 25, but you learn how to cope or through unhealthy ways, or maybe healthy ways if you're if you've got a good support structure or whatever, you know, earlier on. So you know, the 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 analogy that's used in, in conquer is your is your limbic. Uh, Part of your brain is so overpowering that it's like and because your prefrontal cortex is not fully developed, it's like having a Porsche with bicycle brakes, you know what I mean? And so because it just can't stop it. And so that's why it becomes it's not really about sex anymore. It's just we've created these patterns. We've said you go find a way to cope with it yourself when we say some of those things to Mm -hmm. to children you know like like you know get over it stop your whining you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. you can think of all the, you know i'll give you something to cry about you know all these little things that that we tell children and as opposed to it's
0: not that big of a deal
1: it's not that big of a deal Mm -hmm. as opposed to like hey i understand you're upset let's talk about it let's Mm -hmm. kind of work through it what can we do you know what Mm -hmm. i mean
0: Betrayal is one of the hardest things you will ever experience. But inside the Recover You Support community, you're never alone on your journey to recovery and growth. Imagine a community where support is more than just a word, it's a shared commitment to lift each other up. Recover You is a safe place for understanding, empathy, and connection. If you're looking for a place to share your struggles and get encouraged, or to find resources that move your recovery forward, then the Recovery You Support community is for you. Inside the community, I host two classes per month with topics like how to create and communicate clear boundaries, learning how to navigate triggers, and how to process the heavy emotions that betrayal brings. The replays are saved and posted in the resource library along with other videos available for you to watch at any time. Finally, at Recover You, you have the opportunity to connect with other women who share similar experiences to yours. Women who understand, empathize, and love you just for being you. Join us at Recover You, where every voice is heard and every journey is respected, because healing is done in community. Our monthly membership is just $25 a month. Join now for exclusive content and a community that's got your back every step of the way. Go to recoveryou.disciplemedia.com or click the link in the show notes. Make sure to use code PODVIP, that's P-O-D-V-I-P, for your first month free. Together, we recover, we grow, and we thrive. Something that I think we might have mentioned this actually in the last episode was um, the idea that what happens when we are children shows up dramatically differently in how our brains process it. If we process it alone versus if we have a safe parental um, support system to, to guide us and help us make sense of things that happen. Right. And so the comments that you were just making essentially creates an unsafe space for them to share emotions or to come when things are actually big, actually scary, because they think they're just going to be shut down or it's not a place to be open and vulnerable. And so as much as we can cultivate a place of you can come and tell me anything and it's going to be okay, um, when things happen, we'll then allow Kind of some of those conversations, and I think as much as we have, and we've told Keegan this. Oh my gosh, we've told him like ten different times. We regret so. much. We're sorry. We um, we didn't handle things appropriately all the time. You know, we we did the best we could, but we've learned more now, and we feel like we could have done things better. You know, and and he's so nice about it. He's like, really, you guys are good parents. He's so nice about it. But um, I do think the one thing that we did is even through our mistakes, we apologized a lot, and so we really did very regularly um i think open the door for him to come to us and so he really does i would say like 99% of the time feel comfortable talking to us yeah. and i think that's a, a really big thing so when we're talking about all of these patterns of behavior and all of these things um coping and numbing and all this kind of stuff the uh, when we when you think about the opposite of addiction is is connection When, when that can start at a young age, and that's why we had the episode about talking to your children about it in an age appropriate way, sex is one of those things that, um, through our culture and through church and through family units and stuff like that, it's so much like, we can't talk about it. We can't talk about sex and marriage. We can't talk about sex before marriage. We can't talk about, you know, um, sex inside of church. We can't, we can't talk about these things. That's so bad. Right. And so basically in Christian culture, specifically, you're really taught that there's never an okay time to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, you and I had mentioned this, I know I'm getting a little off topic here with this, but, um, you and I had mentioned the other day, I don't know the statistics around this, but I would not be surprised if the addiction aspect to sexually acting out or pornography use is higher in the Christian church than it is in society, specifically because of the shame associated with sex in general. Um, not because, um, oh, how how do I say that? Um, I guess I'll just leave it there. Just, be, just because it's it's not safe to talk about it in any healthy way. There's no healthy outlet no. a lot of times think- in that in in the Christian community, and so that's really hard because if, if you're, if you're not talking to your kid at nine years old, as he's standing by the bus stop about, Hey, if you see, you know, we talked about the book, good pictures, bad pictures. If you see this, or if you, if someone says something to you, and it makes you uncomfortable, like giving your kids the words mm-hmm. so that they feel safe to come to you when things are uncomfortable, you know, I think that's really invaluable.
1: Well, and and what's interesting in the, in the Christian community, and you're right. So, you know, Christian, Young adults are no different than normally or than other young adults, not normal, but uh, other young no. adults. So You're what well. you have, you know, what you have is and, and actually one of the other things that, you know, it's, you don't necessarily have to tell your kid, hey, you know, I'll give you something to cry about or, or don't whine about that. You can even and I think this is what happened in my case because I seemed relatively put together, my parents didn't really follow up yeah, and say, are you okay? And they were dealing with their own stuff. You know what I mean? Like, like it's okay, but it's, there's a, a, just a it's the you know,
0: proactive, right.
1: They weren't necessarily hurting me or, or, you know, telling me those, sending me those messages. But I guess the message I received was you have to solve it yourself. You know what I mean? And so, so the, the, the one thing I wanted to kind of tie to is, you know, you talked about, about, you know, in the Christian community. So what you have is you have all this standard hurt that happens in a household up to the age of 18. And then, so all those kids are trying to do the right thing, right. And they're being exposed and they're maybe making a stand to their secular friends, but then behind closed doors because of the accessibility of it. And I've heard all these stories about how in seminary it's rampant. And so you take all these kids who haven't learned how to, how to reach uh, out for support, how to talk about their feelings. And then they go to a college where, you know, it, it may be an unhealthy college where they don't talk about those things or they kick you out if, you know, whatever and it just blows up. Mm-hmm. And so it There's it,
0: probably a spiritual worker aspect to that. Could be. Um and I think there's just a cultural component. Mm-hmm. I think we do a really bad job of teaching inside the Christian community how to talk about this stuff. Right. I think it's really poorly done.
1: But when I think about that with seminary kids, I'm like, these are good kids and they want to go into the They want to go do
0: good things. Yeah. And so that
1: to me that's such a clear message of why it's not about sex. It's about they've they've developed this coping mechanism and they can't seem to get off the merry-go-round on
0: it it's almost always internalized shame
1: right right exactly
0: if you had to summarize it in a sentence it's almost always internalized shame how that how that shows up and where that comes from is going to be different for every individual but it's almost always about internalized shame yeah
1: yeah absolutely
0: okay so that was a long answer to question number one (laughs) i went off on like three tangents there sorry Question number two, how do I know he really, how do I know he loves me?
1: Is that, was that the song you sang at the beginning?
0: How does, how does she know?
1: Oh, okay. But yes, close
0: enough. Yeah. So how do I know he really loves me? So that's a, that's a really good question.
1: Do you want me to start?
0: You can start. Okay.
1: So I I think this has to do. How do do I,
0: how do I know, Patrick? Because I tell you. (laughs) You told me during your addiction.
1: Yeah. But now I bring you coffee.
0: I think you did that. Did you not do that before? I don't know. I've always sure. done that. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you've. Right.
1: Well, I'm going to stop.
0: <laughs> there you have it, folks. <laughs> there, he doesn't there. actually love it, me. He's not bringing me coffee, uh, tomorrow. So, I, I
1: I think this is you know, and 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 people demonstrate love in different ways. But I think, and and I've thought about this uh, a lot because you asked me at one point, like, how do you do? you Even know what love is? I think this was the question in the, in you the beginning.
0: Asked me. In the be and this was completely valid and I stand by this to this day is that in the beginning rightfully so I thought how can you have this behavior and actually love me and I and and you hear uh Doug Weiss talk about this he answers this question he goes you you can't it's not a loving thing
1: mm-hmm, right
0: you know so yes do I think you love me yet yeah, but the way you were acting was acting against that statement yeah, yeah. that's not a loving thing thing to do it's a cruel thing to do right. to a spouse right.
1: yeah yeah especially um, if you know it's gonna hurt them and all of those the things.
0: lying right it's like right. i you to some extent you understand and have compassion and empathy on the addiction portion of it and the, the comp the compulsion right um it's and this comes out but in so many people during recovery saying this, it's the lying, it's mm-hmm. the manipulation, it's mm-hmm. the not letting me know who you really were. Right. And then saying you love me like that's not that's not loving behavior. Yeah. So, yeah, I did say I was like, how do I know you love me? And um, you're and what I told you was you're going to have to prove to me that you actually know and understand what love is.
1: Yeah. So I thought a lot about that, and you know, and I've been to a, a couple of different places, but I think the first thing, you know, it's almost like the, the first thing you have to do if you love somebody is you have to make sure you stop hurting them. Number one. Right. And so if, if you know, whether you are out of control in your compulsive behavior or whatever, but you have to stop that and you have to make, and, and, and Out of empathy for the addict, understanding that it can be hard to stop it, you have to do everything you can to stop it. So here's a good example. When somebody says, hey, or you go to a program and they say you got to put blockers on your phone and you don't put blockers on your phone. once again I don't want to shame anybody but it's like, well why aren't you putting blockers on your phone? you know what I mean if you're you got a journal every day and sometimes people are a little bit slow in taking that step it's like well, get into that and you know maybe you do five out of seven days or whatever and that's okay you know but you're, you' you got to start those processes, you know what I mean like take it seriously you're in this thing. so the first thing you have to do is the work, right the work shows a level of commitment.
0: Well, I think to kind of go into that, if you're feeling resistance about doing any of those activities or even about the idea of completely getting into recovery, if you're feeling resistance about the idea of never looking at pornography again or never masturbating again or whatever, Mm -hmm. then that is a deeper question that that really needs to be answered that is, what is this um, providing to me right now? That I don't have a healthy alternative for when you can answer that question and have that alternative, you'll be able to get into recovery. But if you have a deep resistance, then there's something that you're afraid of losing.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And if that is some sort of, um, it's usually, you know, some sort of self, um, self-soothing mechanism is essentially. Right. Yeah. And so finding you've really talking through that with your therapist and kind of figuring out, okay, well, what actually does that and what's going to replace that for me in a healthy way? Right. Um Because yeah, if you, I agree, if you love someone, you're going to do everything you can. And if you're, if you're feeling resistance to that, that's a deeper, that's a deeper question. Yeah.
1: I think. And, and just because you run in and just, just want to make sure I'm clear here, just because you have a couple of of let's say slips or whatever right off that it doesn't mean you necessarily don't love your spouse right and, and so once again we want to extend a lot of grace here right, while we're talking about it but the point is if you do nothing right if you get caught your, your spouse it's The
0: pattern is continually repeating
1: right and there's no activity mm-hmm. um there you know like what's that about i think the second thing would be is is you make amends you know like like one of the things we always or i've heard you communicate is hey be careful of the love bombing like they might love bomb you i guess i would counter and say you know that's a that is a natural part now you have to you have to have it in perspective. Like, is it okay? You know, like, like.
0: You can't get mad if I don't go. That's right. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, I mean, I got you flowers and mm-hmm. I would buy you these gifts and things. And there was a degree of love bombing there. But I was trying to show you that, hey, you know, I, I, I recognize the pain. I want to demonstrate my love to you. And then I think the last thing is over time. It has to be over time. You know, that's part of the problem with the love bombing. And sometimes it's a three-day thing and then it's over. Like, is are you showing up consistently for that person? You know, that's what a loving marriage does. You show up consistently for your spouse over the long haul Mm -hmm. right you know over decades that's what you know when you look at the at the 50-year wedding anniversary of the couple that really loves each other what did they do they showed up consistently for themselves over five decades and was it easy no were there pitfalls yes but is there more of the positive um i'm here i'm here to serve you i'm you know we're serving each other we are Um, maybe talking through difficult things, maybe we're having disagreements, but then we engage in healthy repair, you know, and you and I have talked about that. We actually had an incident about a week ago and we, I think what I had said was I, I really respected that we repaired really, really well.
0: Yeah. I was, I was like pretty calm and we were just kind of talking through something and then it was over.
1: Yeah. It was over. And, and there were some lingering effects on me, but but we repaired really well and had the had the potential, like a lot of things to, to to become a bigger deal. So, yeah, I think I think, you know, doing the work that shows you want to be different, um, making amends. And, you know, so that that can be the work. It can be separate from the work. You know what I mean? Like like, you know, learning how to date your wife again, learning how to um, make her feel like she's the most loved person out there. You know what I mean? Like, like doing those things that, that is, they, they are related because you're, you're starting to be a more open and honest and individual. And then the final thing I, was, I would say over time, you know, and, I mean? and
0: not, and not from the addict perspective, not expecting kudos
1: mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. everything. Yeah.
0: Um, I mean, I think that's huge because, um, I can't, did we talk about this in a recent episode? It's the idea that Um, the affirmation for the addict cannot be determined on, like cannot be solely based on their spouse. Like you need to be getting like affirmation and encouragement from like your group and from your therapist and from your support system um, and from yourself for doing the right thing. Um, The, the wounded party, the betrayed spouse is going to be very tempered Mm-hmm. in her response to things for probably a long time right. she may appreciate like i very much appreciated all of those things but also okay like okay, you know I, I would go in you would check off the the day three of being sober and i would give you a hug um you know but internally i'm not i i'm not like freaking out about that, you know what i mean like okay, I'm going to accept this. I'm going to encourage you with it, you know, friend to friend, Mm -hmm. but spouse to spouse, there is a layer of protection there that needed to stay up for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's an important differentiation for people to understand that you can relate in a really healthy way, friend to friend right from the beginning as the addict is getting into sobriety and you can offer encouragement and support and all that kind of stuff. Spouse to spouse relationship, that's going to be different yeah. because you are wounded and the repair process takes a significant amount of time. Mm-hmm. And so that like open, vulnerable um love response to those types of behaviors may take a long time. You may cognitively or verbally receive the flowers or the gift or whatever mm-hmm. and it, it may not be you know this um, uh, pro, profuse encouragement for for the addict of oh my gosh I see like how well you're doing right because they're yeah. yeah, yeah. so just the kind of well, encourage I, it, people there that like if you are having that dynamic that's normal
1: yeah and, and I think sometimes and, and I've talked to addicts about this is what, what happens before discovery is you're so used to your spouse affirming you in a lot of ways, and hugging you and stuff like that, and then it changes, mm-hmm. and so you can't. And you said it, but you—if you're expecting your spouse to carry this the torch for you of recognition and and victory you, you're you're barking up the wrong tree. You really are. It's nice, nice when they do it, but you yeah. should be seeking affirmation from your support saying, groups. Yeah, and, and from a
0: spousal perspective, I'm not saying like be mean. <laughs> like right. I feel like I was incredibly encouraging to you and supportive always, um, in a lot of ways. And and again, that's friend, friend. Mm-hmm. I was always your friend mm-hmm. and I always cared about your recovery and, and that sort of thing. But on a spousal side, I was really hurt. Yeah. And so that response emotionally took a long time. So yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, treating each other well on both sides. I just want to kind of clarify that, that that that's important. Um, okay. So, um, from my perspective, how do I know he really loves me? Um, there's a couple things. Um, I think that their ability to take responsibility and express empathy gives you a lot of information. So, it, for example, had you spent the first six months blaming me for your behavior, I don't think I could have. I don't mm-hmm. I don't think we would be here um, because it's not loving. And and I, I totally understand um, the idea of it being difficult for someone to get into recovery and you know sometimes there's complications sometimes there's multiple addictions sometimes there's other um complications and mental health stuff on top of the of you know different types there's layers right mm-hmm. like and so i understand like that that process can take time however if 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 we were in a situation where you were not taking responsibility for it you understood how much it hurt me and you weren't expressing empathy for that i I, I don't think we could really move towards reconciliation, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I think expressing empathy and taking responsibility, that's huge for understanding that they really do love you. And it's more about the pain and the emotions and the wounding, kind of what we talked about in the first point, um, that, that it's not about sex. It's not that they hate you. It's not that they're not attracted to you. It's not that they don't love you. It's because of all these other things. And then their willingness to acknowledge that and say, oh my gosh, I, I part of like some, some of the things that you said to me were were um that were kind of helpful were part of the reason that you struggled so much with it and had the high blood pressure and had the the such extreme conflict internally was because you knew that it would hurt me and you loved me right. and so the conflict within you and the level of 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 pain knowing that ahead of time um so I think hearing some of those things and, and having the empathy immediately that helped me know, uh, I think their ability to listen, right. is kind of all plate ties together, but their ability to listen to you, the betrayed partner, share how you feel, share your frustration, share your hurt, share your anger, share your sadness about how it impacts you. If they're making it all about them, um, that that i mean it's not really loving right like if you as the betrayed partner are sitting here listening and empathizing about the addiction you deserve the same respect to listen be listened to and empathize about the pain that that addiction caused mm-hmm. you um so i think both sides that needs to be present um and then and then one of the things is just um you know, are they really openly communicating to you? I know that I hurt you. I know that I hurt you. I feel horrible about it. I, I, and they're verbalizing and in their words and their actions demonstrating. I not only want to take responsibility, what kind of what you said, making a month. I want to make this better. Mm-hmm. And here are the things that I'm doing to make it better. I'm going to therapy. I'm going to group. I'm doing this homework. I'm reading this book. And they're sharing these things with you or asking you, how can I, how can I start building trust with you? What do you need for me? And and a lot of that has to do with respecting your boundaries. So if if you have somebody that's gaslighting you, that's blaming you, that constantly um, blows through your boundaries, they're not respecting you, you know, that red flag. And, you know, that's more, that's just, it's very selfish, unkind behavior. But if you have somebody that is respecting your boundaries, that's taking responsibility, saying, I know I hurt you. I'm sorry. How do I make it better? And there, and again, what you said, consistency, and I say this all the time to betrayed spouses that I work with. Time plays a crucial role, a crucial role because you don't have the information that you need until a certain amount of time has passed when they are, quote unquote, doing the right things. So you may get information if, if they are gaslighting and blaming you very quickly. You might get that information day one week one, month one, right? That that they're not really interested in recovering. When you have somebody that expresses interest in reconciliation and recovery, time plays a huge role in understanding is it sincere? Is it going to last? Are they going to do the work? And do they actually care about me as a human being in this relationship? Mm-hmm. And all of those play out over time. And you see that their thoughts change. You see that they're Words change. You see that their behavior changes, um, and you see it consistently happening over time. Maya Angelou stated, "I have found that among its other benefits, giving liberates the soul of the giver." Tar hope is a nonprofit that is on a mission to support women experiencing and recovering from sexual betrayal trauma. We do this by providing education and resources as well as connecting them with and paying for practitioners who guide and assist them through the recovery process so that they can lead happy and fulfilling lives again. If you are interested in supporting this nonprofit organization, here are a few ways to consider doing this. Number one, pray that we connect with the women who need us most. Pray for all the women who are granted scholarships that they find true healing. Pray for our coaches that they have wisdom in every session. Please pray for me as I continue to lead in an area that is unfamiliar territory and to be honest, kind of intimidates me. Pray for the right people to be led to Tara Hope so that we can connect and grow into an organization that has an impact across the country. This includes bringing on a CEO, marketing specialist, fundraising specialist, and social media manager to name a few of the people we would love to have in our team moving forward. Two, please consider sharing this podcast with pastors, churches, friends you know who might be interested, therapists or counselors who have a heart to help others, or even sharing a screenshot or audio clip on social media. Anyone you think that might be interested in learning that this organization exists. Number three, please consider donating. One six-month scholarship ranges from $3,000 to $3,600, and $150 would cover one session with a Tara Hope coach. Number four, and finally, if you are someone who is feeling called to help us grow, please reach out to us to let us know in what way you might want to participate. I mentioned earlier a few areas we need support someone who has experience running nonprofits, someone interested in running social media, someone good at marketing, etc. Honestly, whether you donate $5, cover us in prayer, or share this podcast with one person, we are so thankful for your participation. The smallest action of support can have a huge ripple effect, so never think that any contribution is too small. We are so thankful for each of you listening. To donate, please go to tarahopealliance.org forward slash donate. If you'd like to reach out to us, please email info at tarahopealliance.org. Hey, question number three. How do I know I can trust again?
1: I think that question is for you. <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, I guess primarily it would be for me. Um, so I think women have, I think across the board, really good intuition and instinct. I there is a an aspect to you'll know when you know. Uh, I don't think there's a timeline to this. I think every relationship is going to be different and unique. I think trust, I will say, I do think across the board, trust takes a long time. So you'll hear us say things like a 20 year addiction, you know, you're not going to be trusted again in six months. You're not even going to be in full recovery in six months when an addiction has gone on that long. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you you look at the timeline, you go, this has been a lifelong thing for somebody. And then you've been married for 10, 15 years, and it's been your entire relationship. Rebuilding or building something new after a betrayal that has been ongoing for the entire amount of time that you've known somebody takes a significant amount of time. It's not like a 3-month thing. It's not a hey, I've been going to therapy every week for 6 months, mm-hmm. now you should magically like fall in love with me again. Like that's just not how trust works. You can start building, like putting down the foundation of trust in that first 6 months, the foundation of trust in that first year. Um but it's mo- most likely when when both of you are doing the work and you're you're processing the different painful emotions that come up and you're working through this together, it's not going to be a short-term thing. So, you know, if you want a general timeline, which I, again, I don't think this is true for everyone, but, um, general timelines are that true recovery for the addict takes three to five years, um, two, two to five or three to five, three to five, three to five. And then, um, True recovery for betrayed spouse takes one to three. And I think so much of that is dependent on how quickly does the coupleship and the individuals get into a place of safety and security and stability. And so that's, you know, we talked about that. That's that's phase number one for a betrayed partner is to get into stability. So much of that, if you're working towards reconciliation is dependent on, okay, well, is my spouse actually getting into recovery? Um, have the hurtful behaviors stopped? Is the communication improving is the vulnerability coming in is the honesty there if you're living like that that first year when you're having relapse after relapse or gaslighting or he's lying about his stuff he can't be honest with you You know you you, that it inhibits your ability to heal to a certain point now there's things that we can do setting boundaries to say you know i'm going to be okay no matter what and if you cross this this is my response but if you are working towards reconciliation and there it's tumultuous. Um, because you know the addict isn't getting into recovery, then that is going to be incredibly hard and it, and there will be no trust bill. And mm-hmm. I would say after discovery, every time that the addict lies, the um, amount of time that it would take to rebuild trust increases. So every time you're dishonest, every time um, you' you don't come forward and communicate vulnerably with your partner or in fact, you lie to their face and they find out, then trust that the amount of time it's going to take to build trust will increase. I think that's really a really important note. And I'm not even talking about relapsing because sometimes it's not even about the relapse. It's more about the hiding and the lying. Mm-hmm. Um, some, some partners will have um, specific agreements in place that say, if you slip, if you relapse, if you do this, if you do that, if you lie to me, if you um, you know hide information, if you do any of these things that are on this list, I need you to c- to think about it and come forward to me within 24 hours because we're practicing honesty here. And I need mm-hmm. you to practice doing that. And if you can't do it and I find out later that you didn't do that, That's the boundary for me, and so it's it's really kind of coming back to what we said earlier. It's about the lying, it's about the manipulation. So if you want somebody to trust you again, Mm -hmm. that's going to require total honesty, like, and I mean complete honesty. And the sooner you can get to that place, and took I think it took you about two weeks, but the sooner you can get to that place, you think two weeks?
1: It was longer, a
0: little, a a month.
1: Well, I think I was it was lies of omission. You know when know was I mean, it? Like, well,
0: when was that point where you were finally like, "Okay, I'll tell you whatever." Was it somewhere between month one and month two? It was pretty early. I think so, right? yeah, okay.
1: Yeah.
0: So okay, so two months. Yeah. We'll say that. Yeah,
1: because part of me was like, was like, well, I don't, you know.
0: I know the first couple um, days there were yeah, yeah, a I, lot of lies. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it was.
1: Yeah, I think it was just like well, I just won't tell you. You know what I mean, or something like that. You know what I mean, because it's too so painful it's or whatever. Pretty quick
0: though. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It may have been quicker than a month. I, I can't really remember. <laughs>
0: But the, yeah. well what I will say is that the, you weren't acting out during that time. No,
1: no.
0: Um so you were just not maybe not answering every question I asked um, or kind of withholding or manipulating a little bit. Right. Yeah. Right, but, yeah. but yeah, I mean, and that, that blew things up mm-hmm. and it made me not trust you. And every time that I would find a lie and I would come back and say, you said this, it would, it was destruction. We went back to ground zero. I think a lot of times in recovery, when you have blips in recovery, and um, we have painful emotions come up. You don't go back to ground zero. No, you, don't. you, you keep moving forward and it's just a little bump in the road, but I, I think lying does bring you back. I think there, uh, when, when you can't get into a place of consistent stability in the relationship, I do think there's an aspect to which that takes you back because because of because then you realize the foundation actually hasn't been laid. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so I think when you're talking about trust, I think honesty is one of the biggest things. And I hear this from so many spouses. It's just, I need the truth. I need the truth. I need to know that he's telling the truth. I need the truth. I need honesty. I need him to just be fully honest. I can't keep finding things. I can't guess all these types of things. So, I think honesty is the biggest thing when it comes to trust. Mm-hmm. Cuz nobody expects anybody to be perfect in every avenue, right? But we do we do expect in these relationships that we have um that we are thoughtful, um that we reflect and if we catch ourselves in something that we come to our partner to build that trust. Yeah. Right? And that we are we are intentionally doing that. Um so the uh, the last piece I would say with trust is you have to trust yourself first. So in order to trust your partner, I think you really need to trust yourself first. So sometimes it's even um, you know you'll you'll hear people say, well, um, I, I how how can I trust myself when this was all happening in the background and I didn't know, and almost always there are red flags that were overlooked or pieces of intuition or gut instinct that were coming up that um were ignored, right? And I'm not saying that, oh, you should have recognized those because I certainly had, they were so small. And in that situation, there was no reason for me to really dig deeper. Um, but the reason I bring that up is not not to make you feel like you did anything wrong or like, oh, you should have known. But if you look back and you think about, okay, what were those situations that can actually remind you that your intuition was working on your behalf. And so it never broke. It's It, it didn't um, It didn't lie to you, right? It, it's that if we can learn how to drop into that and listen to it and respect it now, it can actually work for our benefit in recovery. Mm-hmm. And so I think, again, it kind of goes into if you know, you know. I think you have a deep nervous system, physiological gut instinct knowing when you can trust your partner again. And it doesn't happen overnight.
1: Yeah, I think, I think they describe uh, the building of trust like climbing a ladder. And and so it's, you know, the trust ladder. And so you know, you can go up the ladder, you can go down the ladder. And, you know, with the ultimate goal being the top of the ladder. And so it, it, it you know, there are a lot of things. There's nothing, there's not three quick steps over a, a set period of time that gets you up there. But it is a lot of hard work and a lot of brutal honesty and a lot of openness and vulnerability and all of those things that, that goes into it.
0: Last question. How do I know he's really in recovery?
1: You want me to answer that? How
0: do I know he's in really in recovery?
1: That didn't work. Um,
0: yeah, well, I think what we just said, time, 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 time. If you are going to see actual recovery, what you're going to see is empathy developed. Changes in thought patterns, changes in communication style, um, more openness, more honesty, more vulnerability. And this is going to be built consistently over time, consistently over time, consistently over time. Again, there might be like little tiny blips, but if the pattern is progressively getting closer towards the goal, then, it, you know, if, and if it's true recovery, and we've talked about the difference between sobriety and recovery, if it's true recovery, you're going to see consistency over time and over a long time.
1: Yeah. I would say, like, as an addict, you know, how do you know you are in recovery? I think, you know, you kind of flip flip that question around. And so, you know, I think sometimes what people think is, and we've talked about this, the difference between sobriety and recovery. So not doing the behavior or, or whatever, you know, they call it, you know, if you're just not doing the behavior, but you're not healing emotionally, you're kind of like a dry drunk you know what I mean? Like like you're just not doing the behavior, but you're still demonstrating all the You're
0: thinking about yeah, it. You're, you're struggling about, with right? it. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, you know, knowing you're in recovery is you've got you've got active healing um, measures engaged. So you're daily aware of how you're feeling and how things affect you. Are you sad? Are you happy? Are you just brushing things off? Are you? Um, are you you know generally a good a good thought that you're having an issue with something is you say things like oh, never mind i'll take care of it myself as opposed to accepting help you know that can mean that maybe you're activated it doesn't necessarily mean you're not in recovery but how do you approach those situations do you move into repair activity that you've learned through the process of recovery are you repairing relationships are you um are you, uh, engaging act in healing activity with others? I think that's the key. You know, I, there's sometimes it, somebody actually said this in one of the groups, I believe it's like, it's okay to, to take time by yourself. It's not okay to isolate, you know, so there's a difference. So if like you want to go hiking because you really enjoy the mountains and you go by yourself, that's probably okay. If you like, if you spend five days alone in your house, not returning phone calls, well, that's that's being isolated. So that those are those are all red flags. So in a recovery thing, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're always going to be fine emotionally. What it means is that you can recognize that you're not fine emotionally and you take steps to help. And
0: you have a safety plan right. for when plan that
1: happens. And, or, and or, you know, that includes people or activities to get you back into an area of safety.
0: Yeah. So that's. Um It's they they're aware of how they feel. You have a plan for what to do when you're not feeling great and you take action on that plan because the plan is worthless if you don't actually do it right. So what you would see as the spouse is that your husband is more able to communicate his thoughts and feelings more clearly. He's able to articulate I have anxiety or I'm feeling sad or I'm feeling depressed or I feel irritated today or whatever. And you also see that he's proactive in saying, I didn't wait five days to address this. Day one, I noticed I was feeling a little down. I texted my support group. I booked an extra session with my therapist. I called my uh, accountability partner, mm-hmm. and those types of things. And then I, uh, I worked through... I, understanding, oh, that was because two days prior I had this thing at work and it brought, it put extra stress on my plate, and I didn't realize that that was affecting me. But now I've done the work to kind of connect those, and I talked mm-hmm. to somebody about it. I have a plan for what to do at work, and now I'm okay. Right. And those are the types of conversations that you are more able to have through recovery. So when you say, I, "How do I know he's really in recovery?" He can tell you what got him into the addiction. He can tell you what he's doing to stay out of the addiction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes um, in the beginning, obviously, that's going to be harder. But as he progresses through recovery, gaining those tools and and the important thing is taking action on them. And then to know as a spouse, you're going to see changes in behaviors and you're going to see those very consistently over time.
1: Yeah, I think I think, you know, the you, you'll you'll know a good indicator of being in recovery is you can tell your story openly and honestly And possibly even help others, Mm -hmm. you know, so that's, that, that, that can be a, you know, not necessarily, you don't have to always help others, but it's, you know, it's one of those things that you want to give back, you want to help other people, because it helps you in your recovery.
0: What a great transition to talk about Tara Hope as we wrap up the month of December. And you didn't even do that on purpose. Mm-hmm. Or November, did I say December? Mm-hmm. November. <laughs> as we wrap up the month of November. Uh, so you've heard our commercials, you have listened to the interviews with the coaches and we just want to remind you as you come to you know, your end of year charitable giving opportunities that Tara Hope is here. And what we do is we help Betrayed spouses connect with these really gifted, and you've you've heard them talk. You understand how knowledgeable and how supportive and how empathetic these Tar Hope coaches are. And if you haven't, go back and listen to the last three episodes because that's where they are. Uh, so you've heard how empathetic and kind and smart and and just what a heart for recovery these coaches have. And what we do at Tar Hope is we connect women that have been betrayed. That are in significant financial need. And and that happens for a lot of reasons. Sometimes all of the money is going towards the addict's recovery. And sometimes that's so expensive. Sometimes it's because they've gone to a rehab center. Sometimes it's just because they're going to therapy every single week. Sometimes group support, which is therapist led, um, also is an additional expense. So, you know, recovery is not free, particularly in the, um, recovery of an addict. And, and also sometimes money is spent, like in our situation, there was a lot of money that was spent on the addiction itself. And so, so women that have been betrayed find themselves in a very difficult position. And that is one of supporting their spouse to get him into recovery. And then often supporting children through the trauma of kind of, you know, depending on what age they are, maybe they've found out a little bit, maybe they saw a parent acting out, maybe there has been some tension in the household, and they're, you're, they're being proactive about putting their kids into some counseling as well to help them um, be healthy. Maybe it's just because, you know, kind of like we talked about in this episode, they want them to learn how to, to share their emotions and tap in and get their own tools and resources, you know. And so there's so many reasons that um, women have a lot of uh, financial difficulties or can sometimes because of these various different situations. And so what Tara Hope does is we set aside scholarship money for these women that are in need, and we pay 100% of their uh, coaching fees for 24 one-on-one sessions with a Tara Hope Alliance coach. And so if you are interested in giving back or if you have benefited in some way throughout your life from somebody else, so whether that's friendship or whether that's someone financially supporting you or whether that's um, someone praying for you or helping you in some way, and you would like to sort of pass on that energy and that encouragement and that love and support to somebody else, we would love if you would consider Tara Hope Alliance um, for your charitable donations this year. Any amount really helps, uh, really, truly. We would be thankful for $5, $10. $50, $100. And for those of you who maybe have a little more flexibility, one session is around $125 or $150. So a donation around that amount would cover one session. And if you're interested in supporting a uh, a whole scholarship. It's around 3000 to $3,600. So any of those amounts, even $5 would be so helpful to just contribute towards the healing of these women. And we want to just wrap this episode up in this month uh, of thankfulness up by thanking you for listening to this podcast. We are really thankful for every single one of you who takes time out of your week to sit here and listen to our thoughts on recovery and addiction and betrayal trauma. And it means a lot to know that um, that we are supporting you in some small way. And so thank you so much for listening, for downloading, for supporting, for sharing on social media. If you haven't left a review yet, we would love to hear if this podcast has made an impact on you in some small way. Please leave a review and let us know that you're listening. Uh, but we are so thankful for you. And we hope you had a great Thanksgiving. And we will see you next week thank you so much for listening. If you found this podcast interesting or helpful, it would mean so much if you leave a five-star review or post a screenshot and share on social media. We are on a mission to share the message of recovery and you can help get the word out. If you know a friend who could use this podcast, please share it.